0: Hi everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show, and this show is for anyone that has a strong passion for making people healthier in this world. And I'm really enthused and excited to have Lisa Charbonneau on the show today. So, Lisa is the Chief Medical Officer at Encompass Health. If you haven't heard of Encompass, you may not be in healthcare, but uh, Encompass encompasses a lot, right? So, we they're uh, in. There are 132 inpatient rehabilitation hospitals, one of the largest in health and hospice, home health and hospice specifically. So they're the fourth largest in home health and hospice. They do so much for the community, for this country. They they have such a large footprint. Lisa's going to share her story, but the most important thing is I'm not going to steal her thunder. Lisa, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much, Anthony. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: It's a pleasure to have you, and I really am gracious for the time you're devoting here to, to, to share your story and your passion for health with us. And along those lines, Lisa, maybe you can take us back and teleport us back to um, the series of events that have led you to be the person that you are. You know, Tell us a little bit about your origin story and how you started off focusing on on health. I'd just love to hear that.
1: Okay, well, um, I grew up in New York City, and uh, growing up, I was always a big animal lover. So I actually started out wanting to be a veterinarian, but uh, for a variety of reasons, including the fact that I'm highly allergic to cats, um, that did not work out. And (laughs) I wound up, um, I was a biology major at Cornell University and wound up... um, getting a master's degree in epidemiology, where I studied the link between psychosocial factors and functional outcome in patients who had had colorectal surgery. And uh, following that, I decided to go to medical school. I went to um, um, New York Institute of Technology, College of Osteopathic Medicine on Long Island, New York. And I was really intrigued by osteopathic medicine because of the holistic approach um, to treating the whole person instead of just the disease. And, uh, and I loved it. And during medical school, um, when I treated patients or had patients who had had strokes or Other really traumatic events or serious illnesses, I was always really interested to know what happened to them after they left the medical or surgical floor, and I would follow them to the rehabilitation unit. So most big hospitals have a rehabilitation unit or they're affiliated with a rehabilitation hospital. And that's how I got interested in, inpatient rehab. And I did a few electives, um, in rehabilitation and it really clicked for me. I loved it and started my career, uh, um, going to uh, PM&R, physical medicine and rehabilitation residency at Temple university in Philadelphia. And uh, after I graduated in 1992, I followed a friend of mine to Maine, uh, kind of fell in love with Maine, my husband and I, and we moved to Maine and I practiced there for many years doing both inpatient and outpatient physiatry, as uh, my specialty is known. So uh, taking care of patients who've had Strokes, brain injuries, multiple trauma, um, you know, orthopedic surgery. And then I also worked in a spine center, an outpatient spine center, taking care of patients who had chronic back pain. So Mm -hmm. a few years ago, I was approached by the company that owned my hospital in Maine, which at the time was HealthSouth, now known as Encompass Health.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, They asked me whether I would be interested in starting a new department called Medical Services which was really geared towards doing physician education. And uh, so I took that opportunity. I did that for six months. And in the interim, our chief medical officer was retiring and they asked me to assume that role. So I started as chief medical officer in July of 2015.
0: Nice, nice. Well, Lisa, yeah, incredible vast background and really appreciate your your focuses over the years that have led you to where you're at today. And, and, you know, she's such a tremendous role, such an impactful, you know, opportunity. And I'm sure you've changed so many lives directly. And through the processes you put together and the programs that you roll out and your leadership, I guess, you know, what I'd love to hear about is your passions today. You know, there's so much going on in healthcare. What are some things that have you very uh, um, fascinated in health? Just love to hear about one or two things that really are captivating your attention the most uh, these days. Sure.
1: Sure. So one thing um, that we're very excited about in my field of rehabilitation is um, the advancement in technology and in um, our ability to treat patients who've had strokes, and also uh, other injuries like spinal cord injuries. So so much is happening now with advancements in treatment and technology that we see um, patients surviving um, and doing better from a functional standpoint than in years past. So that's really uh, exciting and gratifying. And um, our goal as physiatrists is to make sure that Uh, patients who um, survive some initial catastrophic injury or illness uh, can get their lives back. And that's really what has always excited me about the field of rehabilitation is seeing patients come to rehab and work really hard and learn to walk and talk and perform activities of daily living so that they can regain their independence and return home. And that's really what it's all about.
0: I love it. I love it. And, and maybe you can t- tell me a little bit more uh, of an example of this in action. Um, you know, What are the, some of the differences that make the difference uh, in this rehab process?
1: Sure. So, um, you know, there have been there's been a lot of increased awareness and attention in um, in treating patients who've had strokes. hmm. So now we have, um, we have a way to intervene with um, what we call clot busters. patients mm-hmm. um, present to an emergency room um, in the first, um, you know, couple of hours after a stroke and we're able to uh, revascularize their brain and prevent their brain mm-hmm. from having, um, you know, from dying off essentially from lack of blood supply mm-hmm. with the, what causes the deficits following a stroke? So, um, you know, seeing those kinds of symptoms get reversed or minimized in a way that would really have been unimaginable uh, ten or twenty years ago is really, really exciting.
0: Mm, mm. No, I, lo- I love Elisa. I mean, it, it's it's phenomenal. I mean, everyone knows of of someone that has had a stroke and. You know, sometimes when you hear the word, you, you're trying it, there's so much unknown and it's hard to tell like what's cutting edge and what's, what's the, the latest treatments across what point in time. And obviously the, you know, the first few hours that they they say, or even less than an hour is really important. So it's great to see that there's, there's things happening in the area. Um, tell me a little bit more about from a, from a medical officer perspective for such a large system. Um, What's the, you know, there's a lot of, you know, executives and and medical leaders that listen to our show. What are some things that you've learned along the way that are really important to, to lead such large groups from a medical standpoint? Just love to hear kind of like some of the things you've learned, and you know, if you're teaching the next up and coming <laughs> chief medical officers or aspiring chief medical officers, what are some things to be mindful of as they grow their careers and, and, and navigate different, you know, the different provider systems that they seek to lead?
1: Sure, I, I really think that the um, the key to success with so many things, um, not only in healthcare but in many different um, venues, is being a good communicator and mm-hmm. on. That um, you know you can't you can't operate alone. You have to have a team, and you have to have good communication and be able to energize your team and create a, an atmosphere where people feel comfortable uh, sharing ideas and trying different things out. And um, I feel very very fortunate at Encompass Health because I'm. Um, very supported uh, by our uh, senior executives and they really appreciate the work that's done at the, um, you know, at the bedside. Um, so uh, everything that we do from a corporate standpoint Point. is really to support our clinicians at the bedside and um, new, uh, new programs that we roll out and other uh, quality improvement uh, projects uh, will only succeed if you're good at communicating why they're important, um, how it's going to help uh, patients, and, um, and what people need to do to support those endeavors. So I think that good communication and uh, having a good communication style and being a team player and collaborative, I think those are the things that have really helped, um, helped me succeed.
0: Mm, mm, I I love it, Lisa. And, you know, I guess with collaboration and communication, um, what are some important things like on a weekly basis? So, you know, obviously what I find and a lot of our listeners find is, you know, hospitals, hospital systems, but, you know, if, if it's home health or hospice, it's so fast paced, so, so fast moving, lots to adjust, lots of sometimes micro trauma along the way to like psychologically process and pass through so it's it's such a dynamic environment that that you know it, it's not seen outside of healthcare. how do you what are some mechanisms or some some techniques that you do to foster better team collaboration on a weekly basis to really ground people focus the team and how to communicate with them is it you know is it um you know weekly stand-up meetings or maybe taking everyone out to lunch or what are some things that you've have really worked to really ground and slow down a team and focus them. So, so everyone's not, you know, frantic and, you know, obviously you're, we're hearing a lot about like burnout and physician burnout and things like that. What are some techniques that you've seen to, to help foster um, better team communication and collaboration?
1: Sure. So um, we, um, you know, we're, we're spread all over the country. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so it's not, um, logistically possible for us to um, meet in person on a weekly basis so for my team we do have um, a bi-weekly huddle uh, and I have weekly meetings um, you know, tel- uh, on the telephone with um, my team members so I can keep track of what's going on with them and then um, we have uh, monthly calls with all of our um, clinical leadership uh, mm-hmm across the country. So the the company is divided into seven regions. and We have clinical leaders in each of those regions and um, we get together on a monthly basis. In addition to that, we have a lot of communication uh, almost on a daily basis with our colleagues in operations and in the legal department and in our IT department. So um, there's a lot of communication and collaboration that goes on um, also, for our physicians that are um, working in our hospitals, we have um, monthly calls with all of our medical directors. So each one of our 32 inpatient rehab hospitals has um, a physician medical director, and we have a monthly webinar call where we review um, improvements in our EHR function and uh, their uh, clinical quality improvement uh, programs that are going on. Uh, we keep make sure that we're updating them. Um, we publish a quarterly newsletter. Uh, you know, it's really just a lot of communication um, and a lot of education, ongoing education for our clinicians. So mm. I think that's really the key to keeping people uh, engaged and also understanding of what, um, the company goals are. So our, our CEO holds, um, quarterly town hall meetings and, um, you know, that that's open to all of our hospitals to call in. And, um, and so everyone is aware of what's going on in terms of new hospitals that are opening, um, and you know, how the company is doing, from an operation standpoint,
0: mm. I love it. I love it, Lisa. Yeah, no, thanks. So thank you so much for, you know, obviously these are things you've seen, you know, across your experience and as you've grown in this industry and it's, it's great to hear, um, you know, some of these, uh, these tactics that you do to, to, to help uh, foster, you know, team communication and collaboration. Um, you know, what I'd love to hear, you know, kind of one of my, you know, last questions here is more about the way you see the future of health going, you know, you, at Encompass and and, and across your career, your upbringing, you've seen the progression of health. I can imagine you have a vision of where you like to see health go. go. Uh, Tell me about that future of health, according to Lisa. (laughs) Uh,
1: Well, what I'd like to see happen and (laughs) may not exactly match up, but, um, you know, I think that uh, there is a lot of attention now, obviously, onto, into access for care. Um, for patients and, um, you know, my heart and my hope is that all patients have access to good medical care and uh, if anybody needs inpatient rehabilitation that they're able to get it. Um, You know, the American Heart Association and American Stroke Association in 2016 came out with guidelines on the best places for uh, patients to get rehabilitation following a stroke And this independent organization concluded after reviewing the literature that uh, patients who've had a stroke and need rehabilitation should go to an inpatient rehab hospital because we have the highest, um, um, most intense level of rehabilitation. Uh, But unfortunately, due to uh, things beyond uh, my control, um, many patients are just not able to take advantage of that opportunity. So my hope in going forward is that um, all patients who um, who need and uh, who need that chance to get their life back and to have the best outcomes after some illness or injury um, that if they need inpatient rehabilitation that they have access to it um, and the same you know goes goes for other patients who are unable to get access to medications because of cost or. Uh, unable to um, get medical care because they don't um, have the money or they don't have insurance. So, my hope going forward is that um, that in in America, uh, patients who need good medical care uh, can access that.
0: Mm, I love it. I love it. I'm right there with you. And it'd be great to see. You know, I, I'm hopeful. You know, I think there's some interesting things occurring. You know, at different multiple levels from providers and payers, and this CMS that you know, hopefully can, can enable some of these things, uh, to occur. Um, but, uh, Lisa, I think the most important thing is, um, my very last question, which is, you know, there's a lot of our listeners that always like to kind of reach out, encourage, um, say hi, and also ask for advice from time to time. I don't think you'll get too bombarded, but if, uh, if someone would like to engage with you on social media or directly, what would be a great way to do so?
1: Uh, I am on LinkedIn for people that are on LinkedIn. They can look me up or um, I can uh, be happy to take emails from people at Lisa.Sharbonneau at EncompassHealth.com.
0: Great. Great. Well, Lisa, again, so a couple of things I want to be very thankful for and, and gracious for is one is your time uh, two your story, your origin how you got started and the series of events that you went through that led you to be teed up to where you're at right now, which is, which is, you know, an extremely incredible opportunity. You've changed a lot of lives. And obviously you're focused on changing so many lives around you. And so it's, it's, it's definitely a blessing to hear your work about your work and what you're focused on. Um, And so I just want to say, thank you so much for peeling off time to do this. And uh, thanks again. This was, this was great, Lisa. I really appreciate your story.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for the invite. Thank you so much.